You know, I'm thankful to God uh, tonight for what I believe uh, is, is more time God has given uh, the church and this nation to do something for him. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, I, I definitely believe that tonight, and I think that we need to uh, uh, consider why God has got us here and not just try to soak up blessings for ourselves, but to consider the purpose, amen, of uh, the church and the body of Christ. Um, uh, that uh, Bible lesson that uh, Sister Darlene brought us last week was really good. She uh, talked, uh, talked about the salt life, and uh, God has called us to be salt and light. Uh, on this earth, hallelujah, and uh, uh, there's so much to be done, so many souls, and by the way, uh, uh, I praise God that next coming uh, Sunday, we'll be baptizing our first convert in Jesus' name for 2017, <laughs> hallelujah, amen, uh, uh, Sister Barbara uh, recently uh, 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 came back in, and we've been counseling with her, and uh, we baptized her several years ago over at the old old place, and uh, uh, her um, uh, her nine year old son is. Uh, she said uh, he's been just really uh, talking to her and warning her death about wanting to be baptized in Jesus' name, and we counseled with them and talked with them after service this morning. And uh, so we're going to set up, we're going to be baptizing, uh, and I praise the Lord for that, amen. He, he and his father is Hispanic, and uh, uh, I feel like that's one area of outreach God wants. We got, you know, uh, we, got, uh, we got an Hispanic family right next door to the church, and uh, uh, we, we need to pray God for God for direction and how to, uh, uh, that we can, uh, can reach, amen. I believe... Uh, I believe everybody that we can reach with the gospel, we need to do so. Hallelujah. And I appreciate so much of Brother uh, Hannibal's life. And um, I have, uh, if you haven't read his book, you ought to get his book. I see some copies of that. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, just judging by uh, what I, uh, I've seen, I believe his, uh, his son, Brother Mark, they're get, uh, getting ready to have a uh, celebration for 50 years uh, is that right? In Argentina, yes. Uh huh. And wow, 50 year anniversary there. Uh, that's a tremendous thing. And uh, uh, thankful uh, uh, for what, um, uh, the souls that's come uh, come to the Lord there. Brother uh, Curtis uh, Hester, uh, pastor of the church up in uh, Springfield, he's in the Philippines right now over there. They're dedicating a uh, a new church building over there. A beautiful facility and God's blessing over there and the work that they're doing and uh, I definitely believe uh, uh, the words that Jesus told uh, his followers in his day that we should occupy till he comes hallelujah and that's what we got to do well it's great to have brother and sister Hattabaugh with us tonight and we're going to turn the service over over to uh, uh, him and the Lord tonight and brother you just take this uh, pulpit and the time Amen, and we're all uh, just excited to hear from the Lord. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise this evening. Amen, while he comes. Praise the Lord, brother. Thank you, Pastor. 
Thank you, and praise the Lord. So it's all right if I stay down here for just a minute. You're not going to get mad at me, are you? Get upset. Um, Sister Hazel is uh, going to give the ladies a little gift tonight, and it's a sugar spoon from Argentina. So when you dip your sugar, you can remember us. You can go around Sister Hazel, and and uh, I do have some books. If you don't have one, uh, whatever you want to give is all right. And this is a this is a bag. Woven, woven out of uh, just jungle fibers, and you carry it on your back. Uh, the women, actually, the men wouldn't be seen to carry. <laughs> and the more you put in it, the more it grows. And uh, so they might come home with a, a monkey to barbecue for supper or uh, something of that kind. And, of course, this is a mati cup, and they have a... a custom that uh, you drink mate with people and it's kind of like sitting and drinking coffee ex except that you all drink from the same straw and uh, so everybody they put a little more they put tea leaves in there and uh, some sugar and then hot water and you drink what's in it and then they put a little bit more sugar and hot water and pass it to the next person so uh, I was in western Argentina and um in a city called General Alviar, which is General Alviar, and it's a thousand kilometers back to Buenos Aires, and I was fixing to go back, and I told the pastor, I need somebody for the Bible school and the central church, because if you own a property or have a property and you don't take care of it or have somebody live there, people will move in and you can't get them out. I mean, it may be 20 years to get them out, and so... Uh, you have to have somebody living there. And I said, I need somebody to live there. And he said, well, I have a brother here that um, he just got out of the TB sanatorium. And a sister in the church uh, had gone out witnessing, and they went to this TB sanatorium, and they uh, <clears throat> um, went down through there witnessing to the people, but it was run by the nuns of the Catholic Church. And so... The nuns saw them, and they chased them out of one building, and so they went to another building, and uh, they went through, and this sister had her Bible in her hand, and she saw this one man, and she said, I'm just going to give you my Bible. She had never seen him before, but she felt impressed to give him her Bible, and uh, if the nuns saw it, they'd take it away. And uh, she left, and he was very ill. He'd had tuberculosis for several years. He'd been gone from his mother's house for over 10 years, not seen his mother. His father had passed. And um, so in the night, he, was, um, he would take his flashlight when everybody was quiet and the nuns were gone and read the Bible. And uh, he said, oh, God, can you save me? He said, I've been awfully bad. I've, I've, I've lived a very terrible life. Sometimes we think God's grace just doesn't reach far enough. But let me tell you something. God will reach out to the lowest and the bottom. And um, the Bible said, he that's forgiven much, loveth much. And so um, he um, was praying, and uh, he got to having a coughing spell, and he was coughing up blood, and he went into the bathroom, and he knelt down in front of the commode, and he was vomiting up blood, and he said, God, if you will save me, I'll give you the rest of my life, whatever's left, and the next morning, he quit coughing, and in two weeks, he was dismissed from the hospital. They said, you can go home. They had told him he'd never leave, 
And so he, he said, go home. His home was about 700 miles away. He had nowhere. He had nobody. He didn't know where to go. And, you know, that's kind of a strange feeling, isn't it? I, I thank the Lord for a home. Amen? I thank the Lord for a church home. Sometimes people get sick or they have a problem, and they call up and say, will you come over and pray for me? Well, wait a minute. Who, who's your pastor? Where's your church home? Well, I don't have one. I just watch on TV, and this, you know, that's my church. Well, call that fellow up and see if he'll come over here and pray for you. He ain't going to come. He'll take your money, but he ain't going to come. And so um, his brother thought, I don't have any place to go. And he happened to think of that Bible, and he opened it up, and the address of the church was in the front of the Bible. So he went to the church and knocked on the door. He's barely had the strength to walk. And he said, uh, I've just accepted the Lord. I don't know where to go. Uh, can I please have something to eat? And so they welcomed him in. A couple of the sisters were there cleaning the church. And he started talking, and they told him about the Lord. And he said, I want to serve the Lord. And so they fixed a little room up in the back. Now, you've got to think this church is very, very humble. It's, I mean, it's, it's dirt floor, and it's really rustic. And they put him in a little room in the back, and they would give him some food. And, and he wasn't strong enough to do anything, so he'd spend time in prayer. And this pastor told me, he said, if you want him, you can have him. In other words, he ain't much. Will you say that with me? He ain't much. But I want to tell you something. Uh, God will make a lot out of what you think is nothing. And so we got on, we started back to Buenos Aires. I said, well, get your clothes. And he went and he had a half a pillowcase full of clothes. That was what he had. That was his entire belongings. Still had that Bible. And he come to the car and someone had given him a little thermos. And he had a mati cup. And uh, we bought some what's called yerba. It is a coarse ground green tea. And so we start down the road. And it's the custom there when you're traveling, uh, you just drink some mate, you know. Uh, I tell my wife, we need some snacks. No, you're getting too fat. You don't <laughs> And she is right, I'm, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a custom. And so he, he pours the mate, and he tries it first, which the person that's serving always has to try it to make sure that it's not too hot or not this or that. So he tries it, and he fills it up again, and he hands it to me. Now, you know, faith is an interesting thing, but um, this guy just got out of the TB sanatorium, and... He's been drinking on this mate straw, and uh, you, uh, you want me to drink now? And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he, of course he was going to ask. He wants to see if I believe that he's healed. And so I took the mate cup, and I drank the mate, and he started to weep. He said, you really believe, don't you? And I said, I really do. Jesus has done a job in your life. Well, we rode on that 1,000 kilometers and about 600 miles. Kilometer is six-tenths of a mile. And we got there and put him in the church and fixed him up a little room. And he would sweep the sidewalk and he'd fix the pews and turn on the lights. And, you know, that was his job. 
and somebody come down the road and uh, they're pulling a little cart and you wouldn't see it in this country, but they, they yell out, uh, Botijero. Uh, that means you got any old bottles or scrap metals or tin cans. And they would gather it up and take it and uh, recycle it and make a little money. Um, so uh, he came by the church and he said, I'm looking for some scrap. And uh, Brother Godoy, the... Uh, man that had been healed of tuberculosis, he said, no, we don't have any scrap to give you. We gather scrap right here. Well, when you go to a guy's house that gathers scrap, guess what? It's a mess. You know what my wife says? Don't go there. You know what she says sometimes? She looks out by my shop and says, it's a mess. <laughs> well, I had a piece of pipe left over, and I didn't want to throw it away, and then I had this board, and I, you know, she says, it's a mess. And so Brother Godoy said, come on in. I'll talk to you about the scrap that we gather. And so they sat down and had some mate, and they started to talk about it. And uh, he said, we take lives that are on the scrap heap and that God has not given up, but everybody else has given up. And so they began to talk about it. And this man sitting at the table drinking mate gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was baptized a few days later and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, mind you, Brother Godoy had not received the Holy Ghost yet. He's praying, and so one night in prayer, he knelt down and said, God, I really need the Holy Ghost. And uh, he prayed until 2 or 3 in the morning, and God gloriously filled him with the Holy Ghost. And... He spent five or six hours a day in prayer. Let me tell you something. The Bible said that Abraham built an altar. His life was marked with knee prints in the sand. And he built an altar. And he put something on the altar. He was set aside because that he was willing to build an altar. You see, Lot, the Bible said, pitched his tent toward Sodom. He, he didn't get there in a day, probably not in a week, maybe not in a month, but he pitched his tent toward. He had a direction. Do you know something you can see in a person's life when they begin to not miss church because they're sick? We understand that. But when they begin to kind of miss church and they slack off on paying their tithes and they begin to find fault with this and find fault with that, you know what they're doing? They're pitching their tents toward Sodom. They're, they're, they're setting us... A direction. Um, we started out to come down here about daylight this morning, and uh, my wife said, which way are you going? And there's two or three ways from our house to go. And I said, well, I think I'm going this way. And she said, I don't think you better. The freeway is faster. I said, yeah, but we'll cut off through here. And we went about three miles, and the road was blocked. And it said, high water. <laughs> and you know what? She grinned. How many of you ladies do that? She was right. And so uh, built an altar. Brother Godoy began to win some people to the Lord. And a lady came by the church. She was in a horrible, horrible shape. She was living with a man, not married. And uh, she was doing housework to get a few coins to live on. And, and he did... Uh, 
bricklaying when, you know, construction is a thing where you don't get a title from a university. You go out and you learn to carry bricks and then you learn to mix mortar and you learn to drive nails and you learn to put up boards and you learn to put sheetrock, you know, and you gradually learn and say, yeah, can you do this? Well, ain't nobody going to say they don't know how, but after they work a little while. But um, this uh, lady came and gave her heart to the Lord and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost the very first time in the church. And she went home and told her, live in lover, you cannot sleep with me anymore because I've got the Holy Ghost and I'm not going to sin with you anymore. And he said, I'm going to that church and beat them people up. <laughs> they, they took away my little sweetie. And so he went to church and his knuckles was white. And he come in there and he sat there. Well, poor brother Godoy, he, he was frail. And what are you going to do to that guy? He, he couldn't defend himself. And uh, he sat in the back. And the next time he came, he sat about halfway up. And the third time he came, he got at the front. And then he went to the altar. And he said, I don't know nothing about praying. Will you pray with me? And several of the folks gathered around. It was about 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And they started praying. And they prayed at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock. And about 2 o'clock he got up and went to the bathroom. And he said, I'll be back. And he came back. And a lot of the people had gone home. But five or six stayed. And they was praying and praying and praying. At 6 o'clock in the morning, he raised his hands and began to speak with other tongues. He'd been praying all night. And he said, oh, 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 I see what it is. I know what it is now. You see, when Abraham built that altar, he was having a communion with the Lord that nobody knew anything about. You know what Jesus said when he was at the well talking to that woman that uh, came to draw water and the disciples came back and said, here's some bologna and some cheese and some bread. Have a sandwich. And he said, I got meat to eat that you know not of. Oh, let me tell you something. It was good. And uh, do you know what uh, the, the uh, man's name was Rodriguez? And so uh, Cacho Rodriguez, and he said, you know, I think God's calling me to preach. Now, let me tell you something. Cacho can't read, and he can't write, and he has no education. He, he doesn't even speak good Spanish. I mean, he is almost illiterate. And uh, he is from worse than, the, than the, the rough side of town. He's on the other side of the rough side of town. And he got the Bible and he would sit down. And when he was not working, he would say, Jesus, I want to learn to read. And uh, some of the people would help him. Uh, get me in Genesis 6, please, babes. Some of the people would help him. And uh, what's this word right here? And so he learned one word. In about six months, he had taught himself to read. And he wasn't great, but he could do it. And um, I had opened up a church in a place called San Justo. And it was right on the Beltline around the city. And that uh, church didn't, uh, it didn't result very good in that location. We won several people to the Lord, but we had a rented hall. And so we began to open up, and uh, the next year or two, we opened six annex works. And uh, so that became a mother church. And so uh, San Justo was kind of a base. And um, there was a, 
a little town like the next stop of the train, and it was called Casanova. And so we found a lot near the train station, which means the buses and the trains come and go, and there's people. If you're going to win people, you have to be where there's people. Yeah. And so we bought a lot, and uh, we got a building. It's kind of interesting. When we would finally get the money for a lot, and generally that means you just made the down payment and you're paying every month, um, a guy came to us, and he had, he had some uh, parabolic uh, sheets of, of concrete. I don't know if you're acquainted with them, but they, three of them make a complete curve, a half moon, and you bolt them together, and they're about three foot wide, and they're about a half an inch thick. They're heavy as all get out. So we built a wall up about three feet high, and then put these up, and you brace them up and put the top on, and they hold each other together. And uh, so we had a church, and we put some uh, pews in there, kind of homemade boards, and um, then uh, um, I put a man in there that he was educated. I want everybody to look educated. Well, you set up tight, you know, he was educated. And he was one of those guys that could walk around like this, and he had a nice suit, and he had shiny shoes, and uh, his knees didn't have, they had real good creases in the pants. If they got a real good crease in the pants, you know they hadn't been praying lately <laughs> because they would mess up that crease. And he got in there and he told the people how nice he was. You know, you can talk about everything, but you better be talking about the Lord. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, uh, the church had gone to down to just a few. It went down and down and down. And uh, Cacho came to me and said, Brother John, they couldn't pronounce Hasbaugh. He said, I think the Lord is sending me out there. And I said, Cacho, you, are you a preacher? You feel? He said, I'm feeling like God's called me. I said, can you even read the Bible? He said, just barely. But he said, I can pray. You know something? Oh, I want to read. I'll have to find it in my Bible, Sister Hazel. I'm so used to this Bible. My wife said, you better get another Bible. This one's falling apart. If I get another one, I'm going to be lost. Because uh, I'm so used to using this one, I know on what page it is and what side of the page and everything else. But uh, I want to read you that scripture there in Genesis. And you're going to think I'm some kind of a crazy preacher, but that's not too important to me. I'm just here to try to help you out. And uh, the Bible said that uh, Abraham, where's that scripture where Abraham built an altar? I'll find it here in a minute. I'm getting old, but I do remember sometimes. Here it is in the 12th chapter. And uh, it said that he moved from there. That's what is it in chapter 12 and verse and verse 8. He removed from there and he came with a mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent. And he had Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Now, Bethel is always talking about blessing, lifted up. Uh, if you read in the New Testament about Bethel, you, you'll find that it's always blessing and uplifting and good things. But Ai was defeat. They marched around Ai, and they were defeated. And so do you know where he built an altar? Right between blessing and defeat. 
And that's where we find ourselves a lot of times is right between blessing and cursing or problems and heartaches and headaches. You're in the middle. And what you do is going to determine where you go. That's right. And so you build that altar. And Abraham built an altar. And then he went from there to another place and he built an altar. And then he went to another place and he built an altar. That old Cacho Rodriguez, he was, he was the poorest preacher. He would drive me nuts. He couldn't read very good and he was slow in his delivery. But that church went from a dozen to three dozen to five dozen to 150. And it was busting out at the seams. And uh, he, he was not real sharp. But that guy with the fancy suit, I told him, you go on down the road because God didn't put anything. God didn't put it in you. It's not in you. And uh, Jesus said, I'm with you, but I'm going to be in you. You see, you've got to have that Holy Ghost inside of you. Somebody asked me, why would you take your wife and, and three little children, two, four, and six, and go to a country where you don't know one soul and you can't speak the language and you don't know where you're going to sleep and you don't know how to ask for anything to eat. It was just something inside of here. That's all I can tell you. It was inside of there. And, and Cacho was preaching and somebody said, Pastor, there's a sister that's in the hospital and uh, they say she's got cancer. People that are not real educated have a lot of faith. Sometimes we're so smart we're trying to figure God out. And so they said, maybe you go over and pray for her and God would heal her. Well, he said, I'll be right over there. And the next morning, Cacho went to the hospital. And there she was sitting on a, what's that called, a gurney? Out in the hallway. And he said, what's she doing out here? And they said, doesn't have any hope. There's no need to waste a room. He said, what's the matter? And they said, look at her. And... Uh, her belly was swollen, looked like she was pregnant with twins or triplets. And uh, they said, she's dying. She's full of cancer. <laughs> he told the nurse, he said, you, you treat her better than that. Have you fed her? said, she hadn't eaten anything in three days. She, she can't hardly drink water. And when he walked up to her, she kind of opened her eyes and she said, my little pastor, you're here. Oh, he said, I'm not only here. But Jesus is here with me. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. When the Lord is with you, there's a difference. You see, Lot was pitching his tent toward, but Abraham was building altars. And there was a smoking pile of stones and some ashes from a sacrifice. And everywhere he went. And God wrote about Abraham. Do you know in 11 chapters of the, New, of the Old Testament, he covered 2,000 years. And he stopped and talked about Abraham for what, 25 chapters? Whoa, I want to tell you something. God loved that man because he loved God. And Cacho went into that hospital and he said, give me some oil. Well, they didn't have any anointing oil, so they went and got some cooking oil. He said, that's all right. He anointed that sister. Now, you may believe this or you may not. But while he was praying, her stomach blew up. It exploded. And all kinds of pus and stuff actually blew up onto the ceiling and was dripping down. And they come in there and they said, what in the world? And the nurses started trying to clean the stuff up and the doctor come in and said, what has happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. 
they cleaned her up and stitched her up. And I went by the church two weeks later, and she's out sweeping the sidewalk in front of the church. They said, she ain't going to make it. And Cacho said, ain't nothing, nothing too hard for the Lord. Ain't nothing, 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 nothing. Well, you see, the man that won Cacho, he didn't just win him. That brother Godoy, he started winning other men. And I could tell you some sad stories about some of them that fell back into sin. I could tell you about some of these boys that got their girlfriends pregnant. And, uh, man, I sat down with some of them, and I can tell you right now, I wanted to beat their socks off. And I wanted to kick them out of the church. But if you put them out, where are they going to go? And sometimes when you find somebody that's fallen into sin, you, you can give up on them or you can bring them to God. And if you bring them to God, they got a chance. If you give up, you know, if the church gives up, if we give up. And so, uh, Brother Godoy, he, sometimes when I wanted to be pretty harsh, he would say, Brother John, maybe we should give him another chance. And so, uh, this one young man, see, this church that Brother Godoy, somebody said, let Godoy preach. I said, he's not a preacher, he's a caretaker. He sweeps the floor, he turns on the lights, turns off the lights, locks the door. They said, let him preach. We want to hear him preach. I said, I can't preach. I'm educated. I've been to Bible school. i got four years of education. I've preached all over the country. I know the Bible. He, he doesn't hardly know anything. They said, we want to hear him preach. Now, I could get up and preach, and maybe two or three would come to the altar. Godoy, he preached one night that filled the altar. Everybody in the church was in the altar, and I think 11 of them got the Holy Ghost that night. And I said, wait, 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 wait. And you know what God said? He spends a lot of time at the altar. Spends a lot of time at the altar. If you spend a lot of time talking to God, God's going to talk to you. And so uh, they said, we want to hear him preach again. After a while, I said, I'm going to make him the assistant pastor. And I was traveling in the interior. You know, it was eight hours south to Bahia Blanca. And then another three hours to Carmen de Patagonia. And then another hour across to Viedmont. And then west, it was six hours to New Kent. And then back north, four and a half hours to the next town. And you, you, you make a circuit, and it's two or three weeks that you wouldn't even see your family. You're out preaching, bam, bam. And so Godoy's baptizing people. There was, a, there was a period of time. Now, you may or may not believe this, but God sent such a revival every service. We was averaging 20 people baptized in Jesus' name. I mean every service, every service, every service, every service. You see, the altar talks about prayer. This is probably the most important part of the church right here is around the altar. People gather around the altar. Uh, Pastor Pruitt comes here and dedicates babies. He performs wedding ceremonies. He preaches the gospel. But you know what happens that's the most important is when people come and they stain this altar with tears and they, 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 they work that crease out of their pants right here around the altar. And they, and they spend time with God. I, I had a, a lady come to church, and she had a fur coat on, and it was fancy. I mean, it was nice. And she had dark glasses because she didn't want anybody to see that she was in a Pentecostal church. She sat in the back row. It was actually here in the United States. And uh, it was down in Mississippi, and I was preaching there, and she... Uh, 
She moved a little bit closer, and one day she said, Pastor, I would like to receive the Holy Ghost, but I don't want to do all that crazy stuff. I said, well, sister, you don't have to do anything. Just come to the altar. Oh, let me tell you something. You come to the altar, God's going to do something. And she got down to the altar. Let me tell you something. When she finally raised her hands and started speaking another tongue, you want to know what the Lord did? She started rolling back and forth. She'd roll this way. And that fur coat was a flopping, and she'd lost the dark glasses. And some of the sisters was throwing a, a robe or something over her legs so she wouldn't be immodest. And uh, let me tell you something. When she got up from that altar, she said, oh, pastor, you should have told me it was this good. You should have told me it was this good. You see, at the altar, Abraham built an altar, and he learned what sacrifice was all about. Do you know altars are prayer? It's a time of prayer. It's a place of prayer. The church moves forward with prayer. It's not just a good night, Lord, and a good morning, Lord. It's a prayer. Sister Hazel was talking about that grandbaby and two or three grandbabies. One of them was born with spinal bifida. What's she going to be, five years old now? Five years old in a couple of months. And uh, they, they said all of these bad things. But you know something? She's doing great. God has worked a good miracle. Sister Hazel's um, daughter-in-law's, well, our daughter-in-law's mother, she had, uh, they said, You're, you got two or three weeks to live. We're going to put you on the liver transplant. But the bad news is you've got two years wait. Now, if you've got two years to live, or two days, or three days, or two weeks, or something to live, and it's two years, wait. That is not a very exciting happening. And uh, so Sister Hazel told me about it, and her daughter-in-law, we talked about it, and we prayed. And I don't want to say the others didn't pray. They don't know quite as much about the Lord as maybe you and I. Do you know, sometimes we think that only people that really know God can pray. Anybody can pray. God is going to hear your prayer. God is going to hear your prayer. And so we begin to join in prayer. And I don't want to say anything bad, but uh, there was a car accident, and someone lost their life. And uh, they harvested the liver, and they said, you know what? It's a match. It's a match. And so they called her up and said, can you be at the hospital in two hours? And so her daughter rushed around, got her clothes changed, ran and grabbed her mother, took her to the hospital, and they didn't mess around. They ran her into surgery. They prepped her and operated on her. And you know how long it was from the time they told her? Two weeks. In two weeks, she had a brand new liver. Two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. Does God work miracles? Does God change things? Let me tell you something. I was preaching in a little country church on the outskirts of Buenos Aires. The streets were all dirt. They're probably paved now. And uh, the uh, people didn't quite believe exactly like we do. In fact, they were Trinity. And uh, I was <coughs> sharing a little bit of the oneness message. <laughs> oh, I just love that. They said, Brother John, we liked your preaching, but I wish you wouldn't hit it quite so hard on the Jesus name stuff. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Luke 135, the power of the Most High is going to come upon Mary, and she'll be overshadowed of the Holy Ghost. Which one's the Father? 
you tell me because you ain't going to have more than one father. And one of the young men come to me afterwards and he said, Brother John, that's a hard question. I said, I can tell you the answer because God is only one. There's not three persons, three individuals. No, sir, God is one. He said, I'm going to think about that. And that was on Sunday. On Monday morning, they called a pyro. A pyro is a work stoppage. They want uh, to show their power. They want to keep everybody from going to work. And so nobody shows up to work in the factory. Say, what's happening? And so they, they will say, well, the Tupamaros or this gang has called a work stoppage. And let me tell you, in a city of millions and millions of people, for to get word out and there's a work stoppage, I couldn't hardly believe how fast they can do it. But you know how they stop people from going to work? They'll hide in the bushes where the trains go by and they'll shoot indiscriminately through the windows on the train. And they'll shoot into the windows of the bus. And uh, not many people had cars, at least at that time. And I don't think you're going to ride down a train. And so this young man decided that he was going to work and he got on the train and he's riding along and uh, all of a sudden he heard a gun blast and he felt a sting on his neck. And he, somebody saw that the window was busted right beside him and the train, of course, was moving and a few people on it. And they said, let me see, let me see, let me see. And he said, I feel it hot. And he thought maybe it was blood. And he put his hand down like this and he had the bullet in his hand. And the bullet was a 44 caliber and it went through his shirt and laid on his juggler vein, but it didn't break the skin. Wow. Now... <laughs> 44 caliber going through a piece of glass and through a shirt is not going to stop. He said, let me tell you something. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a map of the country of Argentina. There's all these estates or provinces. I had preached in a little uh, church. You're welcome to look at all this stuff after if you wish. And if you don't, it's all right. But uh, I was preaching in a, a, a church. They called it the muddy church because you had to walk through seven blocks of mud to get there. And um, I had a flat tire. And how many of you like to have a flat tire? You get excited. Well, anyway, <clears throat> I went into the tire store. And I was thinking, just don't like this it's going to cost me money and uh it's a delay and <clears throat> while i'm there a guy walked up to me and he said what do you do i said i'm a preacher a missionary he said what do missionaries do i said they teach people about the gospel he said well teach me i said okay i started talking to him he said come to my house so i went to his house and he said man you need to be over here at this church so he took me over to the church, introduced me to the pastor, and um, I didn't know the guy. And, uh, of course, they wasn't any ways near what I believe, but you preach the gospel anyway. And uh, so I preached. I actually preached a two-week revival, and I was still learning Spanish. And they said, we really enjoyed your revival. Too bad we didn't understand hardly anything you said. <laughs> but um, gradually began to win some folks. And this pastor said to me, I, I want you to go with me to go visit another pastor. He said, it's just down the road a ways. 
it was eight hours drive. So we went to this town called Bahia Blanca, and we got down there, and I said, well, what's the address? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, what did you do with the address? He said, I just threw it away. He said, uh, it's, now this city is probably 80,000, I don't know, and he doesn't have the address. He said, well, there's trees along the street. I said, every one of these streets has got trees on it. And uh, believe it or not, that he said there's a figorifico. Well, that can mean a meat packing house, an apple packing shed, or where they process grapes or onions or, or strawberries or, or garlic. And, and there's all kinds of stuff there. And so after two hours in the city going up and down the streets, he said, now this is the right street. I said, you've said that five times. Well, we got there, said it. This man knocked on his door, and he come out, and he said, well, come on in. Oh, he was open. I said, boy, this is going to be a good fish if I can get the hook in his jaw. This is going to be a good one. And so, you know, you pray, and then you worship, and then you believe that God will do something. And so... Uh, we had uh, uh, some lunch to eat that evening, and uh, he said, well, let's get our Bibles out. Mm, boy, I'm excited now. Woo, get the Bible, get the Bible, get the Bible. I'll tell you what, you got nothing to be ashamed of, and you don't have to back up. I don't care where you are or who you are. The Bible will defend itself. And so we sat down at the table, and he said, no, this right here is what I believe, and this right here, and this right here. And I said, yeah, okay. I believe in divine healing, and I believe in the, and uh, I said, well, how do you see baptism? He said, well, we've always baptized in the, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I said, have you ever found that in the Bible? Was anybody ever baptized like that? Well, I don't know. We got to looking. He said, I can't find a soul. And I said, let me show you where people were baptized in Jesus' name. And I started going through the Bible. Now, I said, you tell me, what do you think is right? At 2 in the morning, everybody else had gone to bed. At 2 in the morning, all of a sudden, it's just like his eyes popped open. And he said, wow, I see it, I see it, I see it, I see it. It's, he said, you know what? I've always believed that that was wrong, but I didn't know what was right. And so I see it, I see it. He said, get to bed. We got a lot of work to do. He was co-pastor of five churches. And we went to preach here and preach there and preach here and preach there. And I baptized Four of the five churches. One of them threw me out. <laughs> but uh, I preached in one place, and uh, it was, it was kind of like this right here, a little bit wider than that, and the door was right here. And so the sidewalk was there, and people walking down the sidewalk, and I'm preaching here, and I remember what I was preaching. I was preaching on the power of the name of Jesus Christ. These people were walking down the sidewalk, and a man and his wife and a couple of little sprouts come in, sat down, and and they looked like a goose in tall grass, you know. They was kind of scared and didn't know what was going on. But uh, the word began, you see, the word will get a hold of you. Amen. The Bible said he sent his word and healed them. The apostle Paul was in jail. He was in prison, prison bars. And you know what he said? The word is not bound. The word will go and it will do the job and it will work. And so while I'm preaching, this couple came in and they sat down. And it was uh, Ephraim and, and Ramona Diaz. And uh, they're sitting there looking, and I could see they had some interest. And uh, so I had them to stand, and people stood and worshiped the Lord. And uh, said, if you can believe in the power of the name of Jesus. There's a woman on the front bench. I remember 
she was sitting very close, and she had a gorder about the size of a football. And she raised her hands and began to worship God. You see, worship will, will entertain the spirit. It'll bring it close to you. You begin to worship. You can worship yourself out of more problems than you can pray yourself out of. So just worship and worship and worship and worship and worship. And uh, she brought her hands down and said, in Jesus' name. And when she did, that gorder fell off and it disappeared. And all of a sudden, her neck was bound to normal. And this couple stood in there and said, oh, God. And I baptized them in Jesus' name. And then they went on baptizing folks. And I was going through some old pictures. And we're making up a, a history of the work for the 50th anniversary in the month of May. And, and I found a picture of the first baptism. Ushuaia is the southernmost city in the world. It is, uh, it is right down uh, at the bottom. It is right there on the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. It's as far down as you can go. And uh, I have a certificate that I had been declared that I was an honorary visitor to the uh, Ushuaia, which is the gateway to the Antarctic. It's the last jump off to the Antarctic. And uh, there, you know, the water was nice and warm. Snow on the mountains, and it's melting and coming down that stream. Let me tell you something. That snow water, <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. It's like needles. It'll just punch holes in your leg. You hurt from top to bottom. And uh, so we baptized those folks in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And here it all began with preaching at a muddy church. And before that, it was a flat tire. And then it was here, and then it was there. And you see, here a little, and there a little. N never, never diminish the importance of that moment. God has a chance. He will do something. Just, just give God a chance. Put him on the spot. In the country of Peru, in the edge of Lima, and I was in Lima, how long ago, Mama? Five years, maybe? I was three weeks in Lima. I preached down along the Amazon for a week. And then I was up in Lima for a week. I preached two days in this town, two hours in the afternoon and two hours at night, two hours in the afternoon. And then I'd go to the next village and the next village around the city of Lima. And then they said, do you want to go to Juliaca? And I said, I don't know anything about Juliaca. Well, it's, you take an airplane for one and a half hours up over the mountains and you are actually on a high plateau and it rained and sleeted and snowed and the sunshine within about three or four hours. We was at 14,000 feet, and I was going, <sighs> I'd be preaching and have to stop and breathe a while. But uh, God did some good things in Juliaca, opened some doors, healed some people, did miracles. You know, if you'll just open your heart. And uh, I was uh, in the city of Indianapolis, or Brownsburg, Indiana, and uh, I was out doing some visitation for the church. I kept account of my mileage one day, and I drove 176 miles in one day from hospitals to nursing homes because it's really spread out. And I had to uh, stop at a grocery store to buy something, and I got in the line. And I'm not real patient. Don't, don't talk to my wife about that because anyway, <laughs> I'm not real patient. And I'm standing in line, and I said, like standing in line. I hate this waste of time. And that cashier was lollygagging around and chomping on her bubble gum. 
I said, that bubble gun is going to heaven because she's chewing the devil out of it. And anyway, dear Lord, and I said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm bored and disgusted. I don't want to be here. You ever be somewhere where you don't want to be? I used to tell my kids, you know what makes great people great? It's doing what you don't want to do, and it's doing it when you don't want to do it. And so I'm standing in this line, and uh, the Lord said, do something. Now, when the Lord challenges you, you better be ready to take that challenge. So I said, do something. What am I going to do, scrub the floor? <laughs> I turned around. There was a lady behind me in line, and I could see that she was very distraught. She had that look in her face like things are going bad. And uh, I said, ma'am, you're having a hard time. And she, tears come to her eyes, and she said, yes, I am. And I said, can I pray for you? And I took her by the hand, and right in the line in the grocery store, and the cashier stopped chewing bubble gum and quit ringing people up, and everybody just stopped. And we had prayer right in the grocery line. And uh, she said, would you go to the hospital and pray for my husband? I said, I sure will. So we went over to the hospital, and uh, she took me in the room, and he had tubes going in and tubes coming out, and, and uh, he'd been in a coma for a, quite a while, and she said the doctor gave him two weeks. Okay, he's, you know. And um, so I opened the Bible and began to pray and worship God. And I read uh, in Psalms 103, and it said uh, that he forgives all of your sins and he cleanses all of your iniquities and he heals all of your diseases. Is that really true? Is God's word really true? Does he really mean what he said? And uh, so I prayed for that gentleman, although he probably had no idea I was there. And a couple of days later, I went back to see him, and he didn't have any tubes going in and no tubes coming out. And he looked up, and he said, you're the preacher man. I said, how do you know? He said, uh, I heard you pray. And uh, so uh, I visited him again, and he said, you know, God's done a great miracle. And the doctor came in the room and said, uh, I don't remember his name, Mr. Shastine or something. You can go home tomorrow. So instead of going to the cemetery, he went home. And it all started in the grocery store line. But it didn't end there. Um, someone was working at Indiana Department of Education. And the director of the state of Indiana Department of Education was called a meeting. And he stood up. And before he presided over the meeting, he said, let me tell you something. He said, I've always been an atheist. I never believed in God, never believed in the Bible. But he said, I saw a miracle. He said, my father was in the hospital, and he was given up to die. And he said, a Pentecostal preacher went in there and prayed for him, and he's home. Does God want to be glorified? Does God want to do miracles? Did God put somebody there? just so you could pray for them. In, uh, in Peru, I was telling you about Peru, that they brought a boy. Uh, there's a lot of beggars on the streets, and this boy was deformed. Um, sometimes we don't even like to look at people that are deformed because it kind of gives us a little. Uh, but his hands were curved in, and his feet were kind of curved up under his legs. And, and they laid him on the street. Somebody would bring him out in the morning and leave him there and, and he would beg for something, you know, just 
There he is. He's, he's just a piece of flesh. He's barely, barely there. And some boys come by the church. I wasn't preaching. You know, it doesn't have to be Brother Pruitt. It doesn't have to be Brother Hattabaw. It doesn't have to be somebody special. But if you will pray, God will answer. And so um, these boys walked by the church, and they heard the preacher preaching, and they said, oh, wow, we're going to have some fun. So they went down the street, and they found this boy and said, he's probably the ugliest and the most needy person that we know. And they gathered him up between two or three of them, and they walked in the church and plopped him on the altar and said, there he is. And they just stood back grinning. You better watch it when you, when you challenge God. And so those people began to pray. And while they were praying, and them boys were standing there wanting to mock and make fun, all of a sudden those limbs just started straightening out. And those hands went back to where they ought to be. And those legs extended out for the very first time in his life. And somebody took him by the hand and he stood up. Let me tell you something. That'll wipe the grin off of them people that's laughing and making fun of you. Amen. Let me tell you, if we, and I'm saying we as a church, as a group of people, if we can get praying and get to worshiping and get to seeking God and get to drawing close to God and get moved upon by the Holy Ghost, we can see miracles. We can see and we need to see. And you know something? You'll see the church fill up with people. You'll see them come. Uh, I, I really love your facility. And God has blessed you. And, and I'm very proud of what you're doing. And, and I know you're, you're working hard. But, you know, if you're going to baptize a Hispanic man, do you know, um, you ever try to eat a plate of spaghetti? And you get a hold of one piece, and it just keeps coming, and then there's another one. You, you baptize that Hispanic person, he's going to win that neighbor next door. And then they're going to win the ones down the street. And then he's going to go to work, and he's going to tell them, I got the Holy Ghost. I went to a church where they believe in the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody's going to tell somebody, and they're going to tell somebody, and they're going to tell somebody. And before you know it, they may not look just like you, and they may not speak just like you, but they're a soul, and God loves them, and he wants to save them, and he wants to fill them with the Holy Ghost. I don't care what they look like or what language they speak. God loves them. Amen? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear that, Brother Pruitt. God's going God's to do good things. I want you to keep me posted because I'm excited that uh, just a little beginning, just a little, a little tiny flame, just a little tiny thing. They say a, a, just one little spark can start a mighty, mighty forest fire. One little spark. One little spark. I was in California, and a guy was working with a dozer up in the part of the Brushy Mountain. And that dozer, the track of the dozer, that metal uh, clicked on a rock, and it started a spark. And that spark got some dry grass on, say, or on fire. And that grass, and they thought, well, we can take care of that. And before you know it, it was an acre, and then it was 50 acres, and then it was 750 acres, and it all started with that little tiny spark. God's got a, he's got some opportunities. I was preaching in one area called Merlot, and um, there was a, my wife said, please don't preach too long. What, have I been too long? Is it time to, is it time to quit? And 
I was preaching in Merlot. They'd gone through with a road grader and graded up what was supposed to be streets, and they'd laid off in lots, and, and uh, we bought a lot. No, we hadn't bought a lot yet, but we was having service behind a house, and there's some big shade trees, and believe me, when it's 95 degrees, you want some shade, and the humidity is very high, and so we was preaching there, and a young couple was walking down the street, and uh, they was going somewhere, and they heard the preaching and the singing, and they come around the house to the back, and uh, we just had some little benches about six inches wide with feet on them. There wasn't no back, and there was no padding or nothing, and they stood there and listened to the gospel. And, excuse me, and, and the young man said, uh, uh, is this really true? I mean, are, are you telling these people, is, can this really happen? Can anybody receive the Holy Ghost? I said, it's really true. And that was on Sunday, and on Thursday, I baptized him in Jesus' name, and he got the Holy Ghost. And on Sunday, his wife got the Holy Ghost. And, uh, but that's not the end of the story. I had gone to a Bible bookstore, and they were Baptist. And uh, it was on, um, I was going to buy some Sunday school literature, and I was kind of humming a song. You ever, sister, you do a beautiful job singing. And you ever just kind of go along just humming a song? Amen. Cristo es sin igual, sin igual, sin igual. Cristo es sin igual para mí. No hay otro salvador, no hay otro sanador. Cristo es sin igual para mí. And this girl come out from behind the counter and she said, I have noticed every time you come in, you're so happy. Why are you happy? And I said, I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost makes me happy. It fills me with joy. And she said, I would like to know about the Holy Ghost. And this preacher come out from the back. He overheard us and he said, I don't want you coming in here and talking about that Holy Ghost stuff. We don't believe that. You get yourself out of here. I said, no, I'm not leaving. This is a public establishment and I'm here to do business. And you got no right to put me out. And of course, the girl was scared she'd lose her job. And she just left, you know. But he said, I don't want to see you around here talking about that Holy Ghost. Well, it so happens, he was a Baptist preacher. And remember that young fellow that came in with his girlfriend or his lady, and I baptized him on Thursday, and I baptized his wife on Sunday. That girl happened to be the daughter of that Baptist preacher. Woo! Now, you talking about it, it hit the fan, buddy. Oh, Lord, they, they, they hated my insides, you know. And uh, he, he let it be known that he did not want us around. Well, his son-in-law had now got the Holy Ghost. And that boy, I, wouldn't, I don't know if he had a good balance between bravery and good sense. Because he would go by the, a church and he'd walk in the church and he'd just stand there with his Bible. And the preacher would say, uh, you want to say something? He said, yeah. He got up and preached for an hour. <laughs> Told him about Jesus' name, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. And Anyway, this pastor's wife was stricken very ill, and she was in the hospital. And they said, I don't think she's going to live. And so the son-in-law came and said, Brother John, let's go pray for her. And I said, that guy hates us. So we went to the hospital, and. He was standing there, and he walked out in the hallway. He wouldn't be there while we was praying. 
And so we prayed for this pastor's wife, and God healed her. Hallelujah. And so a couple of days later, I got a call and said, Brother John, they don't have a car. Can you go bring her home from the hospital? <laughs> Woo! I'm going to take your candy stick and lick it, buddy. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so uh, we went over to the hospital and loaded up this Baptist preacher's wife and said, praise the Lord for the miracle-working name of Jesus Christ. And we drove up to their house, and he gets, comes out to the driveway, and I'm bringing his wife home. He doesn't like me. He doesn't believe in Jesus' name. He doesn't believe in divine healing. She's just been healed by the power of the Lord. Woo! You see, God has a way. He has a way, just that little thread. You know, there's a scripture that says, I found a hole in the wall and said, I dig, and there was a door. That's an interesting scripture because when you begin to search, when you begin to open up, you know something, you go talk to somebody, you just take a, a nice pie and go over to their house and say, you wouldn't have some coffee to go with this pie, would you? You sit down at the table and you're having some coffee and pie, and all of a sudden you can begin to talk about the Holy Ghost and the good things of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I pastored in Maine for about three, three and a half years before I went overseas, and I managed a youth retreat, youth camp, and that's why I don't have much hair anymore. <laughs> oh, Lord, from 150 to 300 kids a week, and some of them would stay up all hours of the night, and some of them was up at the crack of dawn, and any of you folks that have run Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. And, oh, it was, it was a challenge, it was a challenge, it was a challenge. But you see, uh, God has a plan. God has a plan, and in those, uh, in those years, I saw God work miracles. I got called to preach a youth camp in New Brunswick, and I said, I am not a camp meeting preacher. Please don't get somebody else. They said, we tried, but we can't. <laughs> in other words, we've gone down the list, and you're at the bottom. But you know something? During that youth camp, we saw demons cast out. We saw people healed. And uh, saw good things happen. And I went home and told about it. And somebody said, too bad it doesn't happen here. And so a lady was in the hospital. We went down and prayed for her. And the doctor said he had drawn uh, two pints of fluid off of her lungs. And it was cancerous. And so we prayed. And two weeks later, she was home and out doing her jobs. And God is a good God. And people said, wow, wow. He's a great God. You see, the Bible said that Abraham built an altar. He built an altar. That set him aside. If you are a praying person, people will know that you pray. I had a preacher come to visit in Argentina, and we went down to the, to the market. And, the, and in the market, they, they sell um, live chickens, and they'll butcher it for you. And they sell live pigs, and they'll butcher it for you. And, uh, I mean, it, it stinks. And uh, there's apples and oranges and peaches and everything, but you're wading through slush. And, and um, a man stood up on an apple box, and he started to scream out. And he said, you see these two men? He said, they're preachers of the Most High God. They preach that Jesus Christ is the one true God. And I looked at him, 
And I thought, what crazy guy. And I went over there, and the crowd was gathering around him. And uh, he was demon-possessed, and the demon inside of him knew who I was and who the other preacher was. And I walked up, and I said, Jesus Christ does not need the mouth of the devil to preach the gospel. And the spirit that's in me is stronger than that demon that's in you. And I'll cast that demon out, and you won't be able to tell fortunes and do all this stuff. And he started screaming. sounded like a, you had a pig that was about to die, and it was screaming. And he took off running through that crowd. And people gathered around and said, what is it? What's going on? And uh, I said, uh, the Holy Ghost just ran that devil out of here. <laughs> See, uh, you don't have to be afraid. God will do good things. In October, I was in Brazil back in the Amazon, and, and uh, this is a comb made by the Indians. Sometimes I need it, you know. But th these are little fibers that they put together, and they tie a string through it, and, and uh, this is their comb. And these bones are monkey bones. You can monkey around while you're combing your hair. And so I um, just thought I'd show you that. But you see, uh, <clears throat> the church is not on its way down church is going up and uh, I want you to have faith do you know that um, in one city that we went to preach um, started out a little work and we got up to about 30 people and a man walked in the church and sat about halfway back and he stood up and he wanted to kill me with a revolver and um, he had another man with him and they said join us or die they were with some extremist group. And it, it was an undercover policeman walking down the street. He heard the man yelling. He walks in, and he arrested him on the spot. And uh, he said, Preacher, what do you want to do with him? I said, Get rid of the weapon. If he behaves himself, he can stay. Well, that man, two weeks later, was shot in a shootout with the police. But the man that was with him repented of his sins, gave his heart to the Lord, and today he's pastoring a great church. So, and uh, that little church of 35, I put a man in there, and uh, he didn't do very good, and brought another man, and he was so-so. And a young man came and said, God's, God's got me ready. I'm ready to go. And I put him in there, and, and uh, those 35 people, and had a couple of little branch works. And I went back two years later. I'd been home in the States and went back. And he said, I hope you're not disappointed. He said, I've only baptized 600 people in this two years. 600. And they had opened 14 annex works. And those 14 works had their own pastors. And uh, he said, I hope you're not disappointed. I hope the Lord is not disappointed with me. I want to do something for the Lord. You see, Abraham had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have a personal relationship with him, if you learn to pray, and if you learn to worship, and I won't have time to preach the last part of that sermon, but he had to put something on the altar. And sacrifice is where it all begins. And uh, the greatest sacrifice of his life was he laid his son on the altar. And uh, God said, now I know. You see, God put him to the test, and he pushed him to the wall. Brother Pruitt, sometimes God lets us get pushed right back to the wall. But he said, now I know. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know that you 
trust me. And uh, when God moves on somebody and asks them to do something and they do a small thing, he said, I can trust him. And so he moves on him to do a little bigger thing. Maybe it's given an offering. Maybe it's go help somebody. Maybe it's do something for somebody else. Now I know. Now I know. Let's stand together. Do you really know that the Lord wants to do something for you? Do you believe that God wants to do something here? Can you think of anybody that should be here? I'm not talking about the people that are out sick. I understand that. But uh, there's probably people in this neighborhood. Maybe the person at the grocery store or the gas station or down the road or up the road. People drive by every day. The Bible said, is it nothing to you, all you that pass by and wag your head? They went by the cross and they just wagged their heads. They wagged their heads. They just said, what is this, you know? There's some people that could care less. They drive by and just go on by. Is this some more of those locos? Well, Paul said, after the manner that you call loco, that's the way I worship God. I really don't care what they call me. But, uh, you know, if you'll pray with them. A man told me he weighed 469 pounds. And he said, I don't believe you. I think you're a liar. I don't think the Bible's true. And... Uh, I just kept on praying. His little wife come to the altar, got the Holy Ghost. And uh, one day in church, we was praying. And I said, let's pray for Rick. And we prayed. He lived 20 miles away. He was in bed. Already had the boob tube on. He was watching TV. And uh, God spoke to him and said, you're going to die. And he said, what? He heard a voice. You're going to die. And so... Uh, he got out of bed and got dressed, and he said, I better go to church. He drove 20 miles. We were still in prayer meeting. He drove 20 miles. He come through the door of that church, and he was white as could be. And he said, i got to get right with God. He came to the altar. Now, mind you, 469 pounds. He's a big boy. And when he knelt at the altar, God had some fun with him. He, he, he started repenting, and God caused him to bounce. He's on his knees, and I saw him with my own eyes. He just bounced up and down like a rubber ball. And he's there, and he's praising the Lord. I said, oh, God. And he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He was the largest man that I ever baptized in Jesus' name. And he got up from that altar, and he couldn't wait to tell people. He won his co-worker, and he won the secretary at work, and he won this one. He won that one. He said, God's calling me to preach. God's calling me to preach. And you see, uh, if you will pray. God can reach across barriers. He can reach over there, reach over here. Prayer works. Well, I hope I haven't bored you to death. But um, I do believe in the gospel. And I believe if you will preach it and testify it, God will confirm it. Amen. God.